Welcome back to Let's Talk About Women, a podcast where we talk about women's mental health across the reproductive lifespan. My name is Franziska Weinmer and I'm a doctoral candidate of the International Research Training Group 2804 and with this podcast we want to share insights from interdisciplinary research on women's mental health. In this special episode, I will take you on-site to the FEE Male Brain Symposium, which was held here with us in Tübingen in April 2023. I had the chance to talk to three speakers of the symposium, all of which are pioneers in the field of sex and gender research in neuroscience. I'm really happy and excited to share these interviews with you over the upcoming episodes. Enjoy! I have here with me today Dr. Claudia Barth, who traveled all the way from Oslo in Norway, and we are very happy to have you here in Tübingen. Claudia, you are a biologist by training and currently a senior researcher in the Imaging Psychosis Research Group at the Diakonemit Hospital in Oslo. And during your PhD studies, you got in touch with research on sex hormones, neuroplasticity and mood disorders and are up until today following this research, particularly during women's hormonal transition phases, such as the menstrual cycle, but also pregnancy and menopause, and how brain dynamics in these phases contribute to disease. Can you maybe tell us something about the brain dynamics in relation to sex hormones across the woman's lifespan? Yeah, of course. Um, thank you for inviting me um, to this um, podcast episode. So um, as you already highlighted, um, I started out studying the menstrual cycle and what we saw there, there were transient brain changes um, in synchrony with the hormonal um, transitions or hormonal fluctuations. And we particularly saw that there is a um, dynamic change uh, in the hippocampus, um, which is kind of the memory um, center in the brain, to put it um, easily. Uh, but we also um, focus more and more on the pregnancy and uh, dynamic changes um, in the brain across pregnancy and postpartum, and then also later in life um, during the transition to menopause. So how reproductive history um, impacts brain aging later in life. And there we see um, early evidence that it might actually lead to more favorable brain aging trajectory. So um, history of childbirth has been linked to less um, ages or like signs of brain aging um, in the UK Biobank, which is a huge um, population-based study in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, how because you are doing also research and linking that to brain disease as well. Is there something that's like very special in the hormonal phases of women that makes them maybe more vulnerable, but also protective about um, certain brain diseases? Can you say something about that? Or is the brain disease that you study in particular? So um, I'm particularly interested in um, depression and Alzheimer's disease. And across the reproductive years, um, we see that hormonal fluctuation, particularly um, hormonal withdrawal phases, so when estrogen levels, for instance, particularly estradiol, decreases, that women uh, might be more susceptible to um, depressive mood symptoms. For instance, in the pre uh, premenstrual phase, when um, hormonals, uh, hormone levels decline, but also um, after giving birth, mm -hmm. when um, 
estradiol levels rapidly decline and similarly um, across the transition to um, menopause where there's a very volatile um, decline of um, estradiol. So you, it starts like kind of fluctuating really heavily and then declines and these all these phases I just named have been linked to higher mood um, symptoms like more depressive symptoms. So that's what uh, we try to study and then also in older age after the transition uh, to menopause women are at higher risk of um, developing Alzheimer's disease and I'm very much in the research mode moving forward we're very much interested in how for instance, the perimenopausal phase might yeah. set up uh, yeah. women f for the, the risk of Alzheimer's disease because there's more and more research showing that how you transition might matter for aging and your aging trajectories and your risk for Alzheimer's disease later yeah. in life. Yeah. So the perimenopause, just to clarify, that's the phase leading up to menopause where the woman is going through these, again, very much these fluctuations up exactly. until then menopause where you have this complete decline and from what I understand or from what I also know a little bit it's exactly this hormonal f transition phase where you have these huge fluctuations that might put you more at risk as a woman for certain disorders then um, so exactly the, the idea would then be in research to first of all understand what's happening and how we can then target that exactly phase. so that that's the primary idea because we are still in this phase where we try to understand natural fluctuations in healthy individuals so we can then also understand the deviation in um, individuals who might then experience symptoms or develop Alzheimer's disease so um, it's kind of still in the early stages but um, I, the nice thing is I feel like we have a quite momentum when it comes to female and um in general women's health research um, when it comes to understanding these processes and understanding why they are at higher risk for these um, illnesses mm -hmm. like depression mm -hmm. and Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, because I think that's also important to highlight. I didn't know that before, um, that also Alzheimer's is a disease that is more prevalent in women. I think the ratio is about two women to one man getting Alzheimer's about that? Um, yeah, that's correct. And for the longest time, um, it was thought that it might only be due because um, women live longer than men. But um, mm -hmm. this myth has been busted in a way. Yeah. So now it's really kind of trying to understand what are the mechanisms. And the perimenopausal transition, as you nicely said, is like really just kind of phase prior menopause. Because menopause is in a way just one time point in time yeah. when you haven't had your period for 12 months. And then you're um, post-menopause. Um, so that's kind of this, and really the time before you kind of haven't had your period for 12 months is very vital um, mm -hmm. to how women will age. Yeah. And um, perimenopausal symptoms are classically um, vasomotor symptoms, night sweats, sleep disturbances, but also mood disturbances and cognitive disturbances. And if you have more symptoms and have also more persistent symptoms, then you might be at higher risk for Alzheimer's disease later in life. Mm -hmm. So understanding these mechanisms and potentially intervening early yes. is very, very critical yes, yes, yes. Um, to give these individuals um, healthy um, and best possible um, aging outcomes and 
enjoy their pension. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think especially then this part also of, of educating women as well to then be aware of the symptoms and to just, um, yeah, find a way of treating them early on, already very early on before it's quote unquote too late. Um, Definitely, yeah. That would probably be something that you would... Definitely, do. like yeah. it, it needs to go in, uh, hand in hand. Like we, we do the research and we try to understand the mechanism and... Um, But what we're doing currently is more basic research, but the translation is really important. The clinical research is really important. But yes, if the affected individuals do not seek help because they think, oh yeah, that's just normal, I have to deal with it, I, it will go away, um, then they might not get the treatment they need and deserve. So educating the general public about um, what are the symptoms, um, how do I real, uh, recognize them, and if I recognize these symptoms, what are my treatment options? And so, yeah, it's kind of the combination, treating the pub, uh, like educating the public about these topics, but also clinicians still need to be uh, educated mm -hmm. about um, these topics, because I heard a lot of stories that uh, individuals might have realized or recognized um, these symptoms, but, and then try to get treatment but didn't um, because um, some clinicians still think it will go away, it is fine. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So access to hormone therapy might be limited um, because of um, very controversial studies mm -hmm. which uh, showed mm -hmm. negative outcomes although there, the results have been debated so I feel like there's it's definitely there need to be much more education on multiple levels yeah. to um, allow for the best possible treatment options and outcomes yeah and also to clarify I guess there's also research needed especially for hormonal therapy for example because as you said there has been research that showed negative outcomes but now I think it turns out that maybe was a um, like a the wrong time point when they were targeted um, so it might be again a matter of the exactly. time point um, there were some some bigger studies um, for instance the women's health initiative um, who studied hormone therapy and um, older age women um, who were up to 20 years after uh, menopause mm -hmm. and there they found negative effects um, of hormonal um, therapy use But there's more and more clear evidence um, that actually hormone therapy might be really, really uh, beneficial if it's initiated early, close to menopause. And based on the formulation you use, natural estrogen um, preparation might be more beneficial than synthetic ones. How you apply them might matter if you have, mm -hmm. if you take them orally or if you um, take them vaginally or transdermally might matter. And we do need more research and we also do need more targeted clinical trials to answer this question. But observational studies clearly indicate um, more and more that hormone therapy can be very beneficial, but we just need to understand who benefits the most and how can we target them early yeah. and treat them early. Yes. And I mean, we're already, we're heading at this now, but what, what can we gain from then your research, but also this research in general? This research is very critical to uh, improve um, women's health in, in a way, like uh, really understanding basic me mechanisms um, across the reproductive years, um, treating depression, because depression is a very 
broad um, concept and an umbrella term and understanding these kind of reproductive subtypes of um, depression, for instance, linked to the menstrual cycle, to pregnancy and menopause, is very critical mm -hmm. because at least at the clinic where I work at, um, that is not really done. It's like um, depression is more treated as a broader concept. Okay. So there's no focus on these reproductive subtypes, but there's more and more research also showing that it might matter if you have um, um, depression linked to your menstrual cycle in the premenstrual phase, the so-called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, you might benefit more from um, SSI use than mm -hmm. other types of depression. So it's, oh, it is critical okay. to really improve um, outcomes and treatment options and um, serve the people you want to serve with your research and in the end with the treatment. So I feel there's quite some, there's a lot to be gained um, yep. to aiding half percent, uh, like 50% of the global um, population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the thing. We're not talking about the minority here. We're talking about half of the population. Um, yeah, so already the last question that I would have, um, what is the, the next or what would be your next question to ask regarding hormonal transition phases, neuroplasticity, so the changes in the brain and disease? So we have multiple studies ongoing mm -hmm. um, when it comes to this topic, so it's hard to pick one, but one study I'm particularly interested in is we really want to also focus more on um, the immune system and um, immunological factors, for instance, how um, the immune system might contribute um, and might shade, shape the perimenopausal transition and might impact um, um, brain aging because there is some evidence, um, albeit weekly, but that, for instance, um, pregnancy might modulate uh, a woman's um, inflammatory system and immune system, which might have a positive impacts on their how they transition um, to menopause, because menopause has been associated with low-grade um, inflammation, and inflammation has been associated with a number of health conditions, including depression and Alzheimer's disease. So getting a bit more biological here, but trying to really understand like mm -hmm. the impact of the immune system, the endocrine system on women's brain aging. Yeah, and I think that's, it's, it's more complicated, but it's needed because we have to have this interdisciplinary approach. We have to focus on also the mechanisms because it's just not, it's not enough to just focus on only psychological symptoms or only the brain or only the immune system. We have to really link that together, I guess. Yeah, yeah definitely. We need much more comprehensive approaches. And of course, it's like it's not easy. It's not an uh, easy subject mm. um, to study. And um, but moving forward, it definitely is important to have more comprehensive approaches where all these factors you just mentioned are studied mm. in synchrony and not in isolation. Perfect. So thank you a lot for taking your time and sharing your insights. You're welcome. Um, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, of course. And then enjoy the rest of the symposium. Welcome back and a huge thanks again to Professor Daphna Joel, Dr. Claudia Bart and Professor Markus Hausmann for these great interviews. I hope you enjoyed this format. Maybe you were able to take away one or two things and are now a little bit more inspired. I definitely am. If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for specific topics, please let us know and contact us via mail or Twitter. 
You can find the information in the show notes of this episode and our podcast. And if you've enjoyed the podcast so far, feel free to share it with family, friends or colleagues. Until then, hear you next time on Let's Talk About Women. Mm -hmm.